Ave and welcome to Emperors of Rome, a podcast series looking at the rulers of the ancient Roman Empire. I'm your host Matt Smith and with me as always is Dr. Rhiannon Evans, lecturer in ancient Mediterranean studies at La Trobe University. We thought we'd take a few minutes now to explain the concept of Pax Romana. It's not a term used during Augustus's reign, but it refers to the period of his rule, because that was a time of relative peace throughout the Roman Empire. Here's Rhiannon Evans. I'm not a huge fan of Augustus. I basically think he is a tyrant. But it is true that life under Augustus, if you were in Italy, was probably a lot more pleasant than it had been for the previous hundred years, really. There'd been a lot of upheaval. There had been constant civil war. There'd been times when there were just gangs running around the city of Rome, beating people up and mugging them and murdering them. And he brings this period of stability. So it is a much easier time to be alive. But the Pax Romana itself often refers to a kind of contract. We think of Pax as meaning peace, but really it means a deal that you make at the end of war. So it's a contract between the victors, the Romans, you know, the people at the top, Augustus really, and everybody else, that they will play their part. So it's also a contract with the empire, that they will contribute tax or tribute, that they will comply with Roman law, and if they do that, they will be protected by Rome. So there's a kind of double contract going on, I suppose, between Augustus and the people, and between Rome and the empire. And it's enormously successful. As long as you're compliant, then yes, you probably can have a peaceful life. So Augustus reigned for 41 years, and during that time, there's going to be periods of relative peace as well as unrest and war. So how did, he, how did he make the most of the times of peace? Is it something that he used to his advantage? Augustus was very clever at using peace in order to promote himself. For example, he claims in his epitaph that he closed the gates of the Temple of Janus three times. And this was a symbol. Those gates were closed when the Roman world was at peace. The Roman state didn't have any wars going on. And as he states in this epitaph, these gates had only been closed twice in the whole of the history of Rome, uh, which is about 700 years. And he says he closed them three times. So he's basically saying that he has created more peace during his time in charge than Rome has managed throughout its whole history. Of course, the way that you interpret peace can be quite subjective. So he carries out this ceremony. There were almost certainly, at the very least, skirmishes going on somewhere in the Roman world, but he decides that the Roman world is at peace, therefore officially it is. He also started up a cult to not just the god Peace, and there was a god, actually a goddess Peace, but the goddess Augustan Peace. Now this was very, very clever because what this means is that people aren't worshipping Augustus directly which the Romans didn't allow. They didn't allow someone to become a god while they were still alive. So Augustus is deified once he's dead. That's fine. Julius Caesar has been deified after he died. That's fine. But you can't have a cult, you can't have an altar and ceremonies to somebody who's already alive. You can do this in the East, in the Greek world, and to a certain extent this was happening while Augustus was alive in the Greek world, but the Romans in Italy won't allow it. It's something that they see as foreign and decadent. 
So instead of having a cult of Augustus, Augustus sets up this shrine to Augustan peace. What this means is that the Romans are worshipping peace, but they're worshipping a particular Augustan manifestation of it. So it's a sort of indirect way of worshipping Augustus. And there's a very famous monument called the Altar of Augustan Peace, which you can go see in Rome. It's in a beautiful glass case and it has really wonderful um, relief sculpture all the way around it. Some of it showing Augustus marching along in a procession and Augustus's ancestors, uh, mythical figures like Aeneas on the sides of it. And it, it's very strongly, it's very clearly Augustan propaganda, but it's not directly worshipping Augustus. Augustus was so clever at that propaganda game. So how did that change after he died? Was he venerated just for Augustus or did it continue as venerating Augustus' peace? After he died, he was deified. So then you have a temple of the divine Augustus or the deified Augustus and he becomes God and there's a huge cult all around the Roman world. And this actually is something that we'll investigate as we carry on with the other emperors because some of them are deified and some of them aren't. And it all sort of depends on how popular they are when they die and particularly the ones who are assassinated, they don't get deified. But obviously, as we've seen with Julius Caesar, it's a great coup for whoever comes next if they're related to the previous emperor to say that they are related to usually the son of a god. So that's a reason for deifying a dead emperor. That's Dr. Rhiannon Evans, lecturer in ancient Mediterranean studies at La Trobe University. And you've been listening to Emperors of Rome. So if you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, leave us a review or tell your friends about it. You can tweet both of us. Rhiannon is at Dr. Rhiannon Evans, and I'm at Nightlight Guy. In the next episode of Emperors of Rome, we find ourselves at the end of the rule of Augustus and look at how he sorted out the issues of succession and the legacy that he'd leave behind. Until then, I'm Matt Smith. You've been fantastic, and thanks for listening. <laughs>